morning. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. That would probably make me Glenn Clark. And if I'm Glenn Clark, he's probably going to be Griffin. And we're going to be with you for the next couple of hours because we didn't really have anything else to do, if we're being honest. What, what else are we going to do today? Um, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. What the, I saw the Jerry Rossberg thing this morning. How bizarre is that? He was asking like how for, weird is that? He was asking for too much money. Like, I don't know. Or they they couldn't define what his role was going to be. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's funny because yesterday everybody was all up in arms about this. This is how dumb we are. So dumb. And I I love you guys, but we're 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 you're, we're just all very dumb. The number of well, if uh, I thought the head coach was supposed to be the game manager, guys. We're just we're trying so hard. I, I tell you what, and and if you just want to say, hey, I don't really understand the difficulty of this, that's that's a different conversation. I I can't believe that a suggestion would be made for anyone. Not John, I, Andy Reid could use a game management coach. Bill Belichick could use a game management coach. The best. Or whatever you want to call this title, game management is the thing that timeout coordinator has stuck. I no, because it's not yeah. that. Like we gotta understand, it's so much. It's a, it's a consultant who is separated from the emotions of the football game, who isn't dealing with guys coming on and off the field, and who's none of that. Who is isolated and only looking at things from an outside perspective, and every team in football would benefit from having one of those. It's something that we actually, almost all of us, campaigned for before they started happening. And then, because we're naturally contrarians, the moment they started happening, we went the other, well, I, I, what do these guys do with that? We're just mouth breathers. Now, I don't know what it means that the Ravens aren't going to be bringing back Jerry Rossberg to be the, the coordinator. Whatever they want to call this. I thing. could do it. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably, for whatever they're going to offer to pay Jerry Rossberg. Yeah. I'm going to do it for less. i got to be honest with you. I don't want you to be the guy. What? No disrespect. It's because we couldn't afford to lose you here. Oh, okay. Like, that's, all right, all right. That's, that's what it is. Okay, I understand. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I would assume this means they're committed to hiring the position, and it's not just, hey, Jerry Rossberg was hanging around last year, so they wanted to find a title for him. I assume it means they are committed to finding someone for this role. I hope it's what it means. I certainly can't guarantee that. I don't have the the thoughts that they have. I, I couldn't tell you. But Jerry Rossberg yesterday was going to become... He's going to take this job, and then all of a sudden today, not so much, which is really weird. I mean, like, really, really, really weird. I don't know what to make of it. But I would assume that means that somebody else will take on a game management uh, role with the Ravens, and we'll see what it is. And I would, I would say that every team should have whatever you want to call it, Eye in the sky. Just someone who is separated from the field 
who is separated from play calling, who is separated from the moment-to-moment aspects of a football game, who has the ability to be a consultant and say, I don't know if you guys realize this. Cause I, I, you guys think it's crazy that a team wouldn't recognize, hey, you've only handed the ball off to running backs three times. And all that says is that you're not actively involved in football games. The first thing that every coach, you work in broadcasting, the first thing that every coach wants to see at the end of every quarter, at the end of every half, the end of every game, bring me a stat sheet. Because they're in it on every play. Every play. They don't have the time, or the ability, the inclination to be looking at things like that. Because they've got to be actively involved on every freaking play and every little thing. Mentioning something to the referee, hey, it's real weird how 74 keeps holding and you don't call it. There is so much going on during the course of a game. It's insane that we would respond negatively towards the idea of a game management coach. That's not to say that if it had been Jerry Rossberg or whoever it might be for the Baltimore Ravens, their job is to coach the team. No. Their job is to consult. Their job is to be watching the game separated from those emotions, separated from battles with officials, separated from trying to make sure that guys don't get 15-yard flags for fighting with each other, separated from the wide receiver that's pissed off that he's not being thrown the ball, separated from all of it, separated from, hey, what's going on with Johnson as he's able to come back into the game because he's dealing with an injury? All of those things. Separated from what are we going to do on on third and three? Do we call a run play because we're thinking? Separated from all of that. Just able to consult. And it's not just, hey, have you happened to notice that you haven't really been given the ball to your running backs at all? It's anything else that that person might see. And that person might contribute and be like, hey, remember, take your timeouts on this side of the two-minute warning. Or... Right now, you don't want to take your time out because you'll be inviting them to throw the ball on third down. We want to make sure they run the ball, so wait until after the two-minute warning to take the time out. Does the returner know not to fair catch it or to fair catch it? Again, just consulting. Just, hey, make sure you you remind everybody. Make sure. That's a good thing. And if the Ravens... For those of you that hate John Harbaugh because, again... I, I don't know. He's only won one Super Bowl. You, you, you need something to do with your life, so you've decided that you've hated John Harbaugh. For those of you that are in that camp, I want to make this abundantly clear. If Mike McDonald was the head coach, I'd want him to have one of these guys too. This is a good idea. It's like when people hear that the college football teams are hiring general managers. They're like, I thought the coach was supposed to do the recruit. What? Like, you want to, you purposely want to make someone's job more difficult. Purposefully. These programs ain't running out of money. This isn't like a question of whether they can afford to hire somebody. This isn't a budget issue that you're dealing with. Like, I could see where maybe Morgan State wouldn't be able to afford hiring a general manager. But the top programs can. 
Why would you think it's a problem? We're, we're just, this is who we are. We got to bitch about everything. That's what's wrong with our country. There's a preview for tomorrow. I actually have a few things lined up. Oh, yeah. I, got, I got some stuff I want to get off my chest. I've alluded to a few things. Oh, and I added another one last night. To a whole hour of that's what's wrong. You, uh, we played. I got, I got nothing else to say. It's a weird, weird thing. Weird thing. Sean McVay could definitely use a. I, 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 do, I really don't I mean, know. Everyone, everyone could. Everyone every could. every everyone coach could. in football could. Every team would benefit from having someone in this capacity. Might benefit from having three of them. I mean, it might be. I, I Charlie Toomey mentioned this when we were talking to him last week about lacrosse with the replay. He was like, I wish that we had a former lacrosse coach that I could just have sit in a booth. He wishes he could look at you and... Right, and have <laughs> help me out. By the way, I'm glad he didn't because he would have gotten the first one wrong oh. on Saturday. I genuinely was like, I think that's a good goal. He rev- he reviewed it. It was called a crease violation. So so not you, okay. Definitely not me. <laughs> and frankly, I would have gone over too, although the second one wasn't a challenge. They had a buzzer beater at the half. That's and right. I was like, no way. Not a chance in hell. They got that off in time. And then we looked at the replay, and I'm telling you, like, as the clock's hitting 0.0, the ball is out by like a centimeter. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in terms of replay. But he said, I wish that I could just have a former coach that could just sit in there and help me out. Because for as much as everybody thinks that coaches are ego-driven, they would prefer to have the assistance of other coaches. And when this coach is responsible for this, and this coach is responsible for this, this coach is responsible for this, you forget. But there are, my God, how many things are involved in a football game? There's 22 people on the field at once. It's insane. So saying, I, I, I do, once upon a time, I'm trying to remember what the year was, there was like a year where the Ravens had like an offensive line coach, a run game coordinator, and all, like they had too many cooks in the kitchen in terms of actual position coaches. And players kind of admitted it, it was too much. I wouldn't, I'm not encouraging that. I, I do think there can be danger in the, the lead up to a game. The meetings that you have, the plans that you're putting in, there being too many guys with too many different opinions about what it is that you're doing. This isn't that. This is on game day having a... And by the way, this role wouldn't be you get to make the final decision. Jerry Rossberg. (laughs) Jerry Rossberg's a really nice guy. I really like Jerry Rossberg. Um, He really wanted to be a head coach. He got to be an interim coach. That did happen. Um, But, like... Whoever it would be. I try to think of somebody else who's out of work. Chuck that, Pagano. Yeah, Chuck Pagano would be a, if he wanted to do something like this, he'd be great at it. Like just on game days. You don't have to be here during the week. So he could still come on the show? Y- yeah, I don't think he'd be allowed to at that point. I think unfortunately. Yeah, we can't have that. We can't have <laughs> you know what? Yeah, he's yeah, too, somebody else. He's too important. And to comes to our guest options. <laughs> we can't have Coach Pagano taking a role with the Ravens. Um but like that, yeah, that type of person that you don't I, look. I say they don't need to be involved. I would think they would still be involved because they would still want to know. But you're not actively coaching during the course of the week. You're consulting. You are there. Maybe not every day of the week. You're there a couple of days of the week, just getting a sense for the team. Maybe you know a thing or two about things they have in their back up their sleeve. Like, hey, you could just point that out. I don't know, guys. Halftime of a game. 
Have you thought about maybe we go a little more RPO? You know, whatever it is. I couldn't believe how negative people were about this. I couldn't believe that. The other thing that there was a lot of reaction to yesterday was Brian McFarlane said on the show, we were talking about Pat Ricard. And in fairness, we probably... It's very difficult. Yeah. I, I give Griffin yeah. some grace with this. It's very difficult to... I should have phrased it better. Yeah, it's very difficult to tweet as the show's going on, but it's that's the content that we're, tr- we're trying to get that out there. And sometimes the wording isn't exact. And we got to be careful, and we, we do our best, but I, I give Griffin a lot of grace with this because what I don't want to do is say, let's stop doing it, right? Like, And also... I don't want to wait three hours later and go back and try to train like that. I, I want it to be that people see, hey, Brian McFarlane's chatting with. The, I want to tune into that. Let's be honest. That's what it's all about. Hey, I that sounds like some content that I'd be interested in. I'd like to watch that show. That's that's what we're doing. Sell out. That's what it is. So. There was a lot of reaction to his comments about Pat Ricard, and to be clear, he did say that an extension could also be an option. And th- there was a lot of negativity towards the idea that Pat Ricard would be released, and I get it. I really do. For a team that's going to run the ball, Pat Ricard has been a really important piece for the Baltimore Ravens for some time. And I'm not telling you that I want to see the Ravens release Pat Ricard. <laughs> Believe it or not, despite the fact that he... He embarrassed himself badly about Outcast. I love Pat Ricard. He's one of my favorites. I, I will continue to say the money's got to come from somewhere. The, it's got to come somewhere somehow. You want to do the other things that you want to do. You, you guys want to both be, have Pat Ricard and be in the Mike Evans sweepstakes. You guys want to both have Pat Ricard and make sure that you sign Justin Matabike long-term. The cap figures are going to start hitting for Lamar Jackson next year. Now, that's, to me, not a problem. I'd rather have Lamar Jackson. But that's the reality. The reality is, once that occurs, the money's got to come from somewhere. And we just say things like, well, just release Ronnie Stanley. Okay, but as was pointed out by Brian McFarland yesterday, even a post-June 1st release of Ronnie Stanley would only push savings back till after June 1st. And as he said, you could try to budget around that, but it still does not give you that money to be involved in the free agent market. You can make it work. You can make it work by saying, "Hey, this is money we're going to spend on rookies anyway, so we are always going to need to have a certain amount of money come June. We just don't sign any of our rookies until after June." Like you can try to do the math on this to make it work, but it still ain't getting you where you need to be if you want to do all the things that you want to do. You want to bring Kevin Zeitler back? You, you got to have a running back. I, I hope that Keaton Mitchell is going to prove to be a star, but I think right now it's a difficult thing to just say Keaton Mitchell is this team's featured number one running back next year. Frank Gore Jr. in the sixth round. Don't get me wrong. 
I've all, we've all seen the same highlights. We've all seen the this guy could probably play until he's ninety. <laughs> they, they, somebody's got to be on. They got to have a running back. I'm not suggesting that it needs to be. Although I'll I'll tell you once again, I am to understand Josh Jacobs would very much be interested in being a Baltimore Raven. Like, I mean, there's th- a, then oh, you're not getting. Yeah. What? I mean, well, because then that's your big. Yeah, but you're, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what any of these free agent running backs are getting. I got to be honest with yeah. you. I don't know that there's a market for any of them, because it's you know got Derrick Henry. You've got I don't know. I don't know what teams have money to spend on running backs. But you're gonna have to have somebody. I I, I by the way, and the answer might just be that you bring back Gus Edwards, right? Like I don't think that there's going to be a huge market for Gus Edwards either necessarily, although. I think there would be teams that would be happy to have him, and this is probably where we say something like, and might be willing to give him the ball more than three times. But, like, to me, that's this. If you really believe in Keaton Mitchell, then the plan is bring back Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill will be there as well until Keaton Mitchell's ready, and then figure out if Keaton Mitchell's your, your backup plan is you have the same two running backs that you had on the field last year, but you got to figure out what that market is for Gus Edwards in order to make that happen, and it's still real money. I, I wouldn't go into next year with less than that. I wouldn't go into next year with just Keaton Mitchell and Justice Hill being on the roster. One, who's your change of pace back there? Like you, you do need a between the tackles running back, and I'm not saying Keaton Mitchell can't run between the tackles because we saw that he could. But you're putting a lot of faith into someone who has done little, only a little yeah. at the NFL level. So you want to do all of these things, and I get it. I think the point isn't about Pat Ricard as much as it's about. I just think there's a limit to what you can pay at the fullback position. It's the reason why we've all kind of made peace about the Patrick Queen thing. It has nothing to do with Patrick Queen. As as yeah. wrong as Griffin has been about Patrick Queen in his life. It has nothing to do with... Patrick Queen is a damn good football player. The point is... He'll kill it in Tennessee, yeah. There's got to be... Yeah, or or Seattle or yeah. Miami or wherever he's going to end up being. There's, what we're saying is there probably has to be a cap to how much money you can spend an inside linebacker. There probably has to be a limit to that. Because... By the way, you're going to have to have edge rushers again next year. And maybe Jadeveon Clowney or Kyle Van Noy would want to come back. Are, are you counting on that again? Are you believing, and remember now, even in a post-Mike McDonald world, that you can get the exact same amount of impact from those guys who probably you're going to have to pay more money to because they both had decent seasons, or a number 30 overall draft pick? You got to do something there. So it's easy to say, well, they, they can't do that with Pat Ricard. And I hear you. And I think Brian McFarland's point is they might not. They might say he's so important that let's figure out a way to get this number down a little bit by via an extension. That might be the way that it goes about happening. But it's also possible that at some point they just say we we can't keep passing the money off. At some point... We're going to have to save some money at fullback. We just don't have a choice. It's not that we don't love Pat Ricard. It's that we're just, we have to have a budget. And the budget's going to have to say the fullback position can only count X number of dollars against the cap. If we're going to try to do these other things that we want to do. 
I'm not campaigning for or suggesting that the Ravens should release Pat Ricard. I would prefer that they didn't. But we definitely go through this every year where we want it all. I want it all, Daddy. I want it all. Like We do, we do this this time of year. And it just isn't possible. The Ravens will do as much of that they as they can do in terms of flexibility and, and fungibility when it comes to salary cap. But at some point, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. My gut is they know there's just no world in which Geno Stone is back next year. It's just you got to move on. Now, somebody else might say, well, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that much money for Geno Stone. But I think the money that Geno Stone's going to be paid because of his numbers versus the actual level of player is the area where the Ravens are going to say, we like Geno, but we think we can find another Geno instead of paying for something that we think is a little bit beyond what Geno actually is. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe the market will come back to them. Maybe every other team is going to look at him and say, we're not overpaying because he happened to have a bunch of interceptions this year. We don't think he's a ball hawk. We think that things worked out for him this year. Maybe that's what everybody else will feel and the market will come back. But my gut is somebody is going to pay Geno Stone based on that number. It's just going to say, wow, like this is the game changer. And I don't know that the Ravens think that's fully exactly what Geno Stone is. I don't think the Ravens believe that Geno Stone is Ed Reed in terms of coming away with it's more that he just got to play alongside Kyle Hamilton and I, Roquan Smith. A, a lot of that, like the, it happened to go his way this year, and not. And I don't. When you say that, you feel like you're taking away something from that guy, and I. That's it's unfair. I think there are certain players that it's it's dynamic. It's in them. They are ball hawks. They are turnover machines. They are playmakers. And I think there are other players that have really good seasons in that department. And you got to really scrutinize exactly what led to that. I think Geno Stone is a really good football player and an amazing story. It's awesome. Again, another guy that I really like. But once you're talking about real money, I got to be getting real game changer. And I'm not sure that that's what Geno Stone is. So my gut is that that's probably just over. In doing the math, that like what what Geno Stone is versus what his market is likely to be, those two things probably don't line up. But I, I, I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know that. Believe it or not, they haven't. Every team hasn't come and shown me. Here's exactly what we think Geno Stone's value is. Should we keep doing this? Do a Clowny or Van Noy come back? Well, yeah, we were just talking about that a second ago. Where were you? Huh. Okay, I guess I was. I just brought that up. Okay. Like I I I, I don't. Darby, Rocky Sin. Yeah, I mean, those guys I don't see big markets for. I could see those guys being back. I don't really know how much everybody would want Rakusin back, but um, I don't know that Darby all of a sudden has a, a, a huge demand. I could see Darby being back at a, a certain number. The wide receivers, Aguilar or... Yeah, I mean... You know, the Beckham thing's really interesting, right? Because is he so happy playing with Lamar that he's willing to play at a lesser number? Right. And... And he seemed to be really happy here, and he seemed to be really happy alongside Lamar. We all saw that tweet that he sent out at the end of the year. Um, I, I'm not slamming the door on that in particular. I'm not slamming the door on either one of them. 
I know a lot of people have speculated could like Rashad Bateman be unhappy about the fact that he's sort of become the lost man and could he end up being the next guy that tries to get out of Baltimore because he wants to be somewhere where he's more featured. I don't know. That's a that's a tricky. I think uh, they still believe in him, obviously. But yeah, obviously, uh, Eric Costa went out of his way. Yeah. on Friday to to make it make it publicly known that they still believe in Bateman. And maybe internally they say we we don't bring back Beckham because we got to have Bateman be the number. We, we got to get an answer on Bateman. They have. Is it is this now the they got to make the decision on Bateman this year? Yeah. Picking up the fifth year option is that? Yeah, because this was his third season. Yeah, yeah. So they got to so make yes. it now, and that's a tricky one, right? I mean, like what? It's so funny that like they don't pick up these fifth year options. And, I, and again, part of it is let's just let's get on with it. I don't know, I don't know. All right, we got a lot to do on the program today. Ryan Spielberg is going to join us in a couple of minutes. We'll get his thoughts on Corbin Burns coming to the Baltimore Orioles and what it makes the Orioles now. It's Tuesday, so we will dive into the local high school scene. Our buddy Wes Brown, County Sports Zone Radio, will check in with us. Plus, we do it every Tuesday. We'll talk some hoops, some terps, some lacrosse with our buddy Patrick Stevens. And then before we get out of here today, Ryan Jensen, uh, former Baltimore Raven, just announced his retirement from the NFL, former Super Bowl champion. We will chat with Ryan Jensen as well on the program today. Looking forward to all of that. Today's show is brought to you by, this one's brought to you by Goose Flights. You know how much we love Goose Flights. It's available all over town. You can get it in cans at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill or at Alonzo's in Roland Park. Also at the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook in Canton. Cans and six-packs available at Costas Inn in Dundalk, as well as Guilford Hall Brewery in Station North. Six-packs and cases available at the Wine Source in Hamden with more locations to come. Find out more, pressboxonline.com slash gooseflights. $1.98 from every can sold goes to benefit the Goose Flights Foundation and what Tony Saragusa's family is doing to, sh- to continue his legacy, providing non-emergency medical transport for those in need. Ryan Spielberg's next, Glenn Clark Radio. Hungry? With seven locations throughout Maryland, Glory Days Grill is always right around the corner. They have wings, burgers, salads, sandwiches, and drinks to satisfy everyone, as well as tons of televisions and sound delivered right to your phone. Glory Days is the best place to watch football or whatever your favorite sport is. While you're there, be sure to check out Goose Flights Lager, named in honor of legendary Raven Tony Goose Saragusa. $2 of every can is donated to the Goose Flights Foundation. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code GlennClark23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-2-3. So bet with the best. And use the promo code GlennClark23 this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. 
Real fresh, real fast, royal funds. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Jeremy Kahn here. The ultimate sports betting experience in Maryland is at the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook. Join me at either location in Canton or in Towson and place your bets in person and be a part of the action. It's the best in-class sports wagering experience complete with the ultimate TV package, ensuring you can catch every game all day, every day. Their state-of-the-art facilities bring Las Vegas energy right here to Maryland just in time for postseason football. So visit the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook in Canton and Towson and elevate your game day experience and hang out with me to bet, watch, and win at the Turtle. Hey, Ravens fans, looking for the perfect new game day brew? Get a Guilford, Baltimore's finest craft beer, during the next home game at the bank. That's not all. Gather your flock next home game and check out Guilford Hall Brewery's brand new bar, The Gilly Nest, located near Section 505. No tickets? No problem. Enjoy all Ravens games all season long at our restaurant and brewery in Station North. Guilford Hall Brewery, European tradition, Baltimore charm. Coming back in here with Glenn and the other guy, uh, uh, Garrett, whatever his name is. You know who they are. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue along on a Tuesday edition of the program. If you missed it yesterday, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson got together to discuss the Baltimore Orioles, Corbin Burns, all of the activity of the last week. You can find it right now, facebook.com slash pressboxsports, youtube.com slash pressboxonline, or pressboxonline.com slash video. Um, Again, obviously, we're all very excited. Everybody's fired up. And it just keeps seeming like, please tell me that there's even even more news to come. There could be another domino that could still fall at this point before the start of spring training, but we will see how that plays out. Big news in baseball yesterday, obviously, as the Kansas City Royals were able to lock down Bobby Witt Jr. And it it elicited the reaction that you would expect from Orioles fans, which is, uh, okay, now it's time for the Orioles to do this. So Bobby Witt Jr. gets 11 years, $288.7 million. So, Bobby Witt Jr. was in the same draft, of course, as Adley Rutschman. Well, Adley Rutschman's probably not going to get an 11-year deal because Adley Rutschman's a catcher. Also came in at an older age than Bobby Witt Jr. did. Maybe you'd say, hey, that's the guiding light for doing something with Gunnar Henderson, but, you know, there's, there's an agent impediment there. Let's talk a little bit more about the Orioles. This man, I I heard him on MLB Network Radio. He was fired up about the Orioles making the move to acquire Corbin Burns and what it means for this ball club. He is the Spilly Goat himself. He is Ryan Spielborgs, and he is back with us here on GCR. Ryan, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to catch up, man. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Yeah, likewise. Uh, It's pretty exciting to see uh, the Orioles doing some stuff. Dude, it is. If we are through the roof here, man, like it is really hard to explain how significant this is. And I, I and I said it this way last week, Ryan. Like 
the micro of it is amazing because it's Corbin Burns, right? Like, this is the best pitcher the Baltimore Orioles have had since Mike Messina. But somehow, the micro of it might not even be as significant as the macro of it, which is new ownership and what they might be willing to do and their commitment and what that might mean. Like, it's incredible that it might be that the acquisition of Corbin Burns is significant, but not even as significant as the statement that it makes about the future of the Orioles. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the tip of the iceberg is is the future, right? Like, you're you're wondering... You know, because you listen. Uh, as much as we we were we were all over the Angelos family for not being more aggressive last year during the trade deadline, and then hearing, you know, we're not going to be able to sign these guys long term, and that's really frustrating, especially when you know that Mike Elias and the front office have done an incredible job of of building up their farm system, and when you have that, you want to have the backing of ownership to go out there and be strategic in, in, in either acquiring or adding payroll. And, you know, you hear ownership saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that. And it's frustrating. And then this week and, and on our, on our program on the, uh, on loud outs, one of our uh, producers is a humongous Baltimore Orioles fan. And he posed this question to us over the off season, which was, you know, would an Orioles fan rather, you know, ownership sign a big free agent or, get sold. And he was saying like 90% of Orioles fans would prefer to see the the team get sold than sign a big free agent. Well, the beauty of this is that you get both. Uh, now you get new ownership, which feels like, you know, with the Baltimore native that he is going to invest. Uh, I always caution fans when you do get a new owner, uh, it's never quite the transition you want because there's still a lot of debt service that has to be paid. And usually that's a trimming of payroll. But when it comes to Baltimore and their roster, it's all it's all under league control. It's all league minimums. And so you can be strategic in your extensions. Uh, I think Bobby Witt just set the market, which might have kind of hurt yeah. Baltimore in a sense. Yeah. Uh, but, but regardless of, of that is one of the things that, that we pointed out with, with Mike Elias and with the front office is that they seemed risk-adverse as far as trading their, their young prospects. And, and that's understandable when you, when you do have an ownership group that says, hey, listen, this is what we have and we want to keep it cost-controlled. Well, of course, the front office is going to keep on to their prospects because that's their way of replenishing with youth and, and trimming costs. So I think it is a big deal um, to see Corbin Burns move. I think it is a big deal that uh, Mike Elias is willing to move D.L. Hall, who's arguably one of the best left-handed young prospect pitchers in baseball. Um, Joey Ortiz is going to be a nice player. I hope he has a great career. But other than that, I mean, like, it, it's a huge monumental move for Baltimore in the last 20 years because they have not been willing to do this. And if they're willing to go one more step, I think there's additional moves with their farm so, system that they can go out and acquire somebody else. So let's let's talk about that because I in, in, in the clip that I heard of you guys talking about it, the context is now the World Series, right? Because the likely scenario is that Corbin Burns is only here for this year and he's going to go to free agency next offseason. Is this a team that, as constructed, if nothing else were to be done, can they win a World Series? Uh, no, I still think there's a couple more margin moves in the bullpen that need to be done. Uh, I mean... You, you got to think of the teams that you're you're you know you're competing against. As far as in the American League, I think they're they're primed as any team to go uh, as far as possible. Uh, you know, like last year, you know the Texas Rangers, they were 
a really, really, really good team that, that sputtered in the final week of the season, final two weeks of the season, and then they got hot. Right. Um, but it wasn't a surprise because this was still a team that was leading the division for a majority of the year. Uh, and then Bruce Bochy basically used his bullpen you know, exceptionally well. I think in the case of Baltimore, I would like to see a couple more pieces just on the margins. So, uh, you know, like another bullpen arm. I don't mind the Craig Kimbrell deal. I would have liked a a more higher end still, Um, you know, because if Kimbrell was doing so well, Philadelphia would have brought him back. And you get to the postseason, there's a reason why the Phillies, they were up, you know, two games uh, they had to win one game to go to the World Series, and they couldn't because they couldn't put the game away at the at the end. You don't have Felix Bautista. Uh, I've been kind of banging on the Emmanuel Classe. You know, go for the trade with the Guardians and, and get you a closer that's under control for the next four years and call it a day, and now we're talking World Series for real. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're right there. They're as good as any team in baseball. I don't think they're all the way there yet. They're not fully baked, but, they're damn, they're really close. I by the way, Ryan Spielberg's is with us here on GCR. I agree with you about the back end of the bullpen, and I assume that Tyler Wells is going to be expected to help in that department moving forward. But we we are totally in agreement. I it, I guess it might be difficult. Like, can you do that with Classe, knowing that Felix Batista is going to be back in a year? Or do you say, hey, that that that's what we call a good problem to have, and we deal with that then? Yeah, that that's that's the right play. Yeah. Is I mean, if you have a one-two punch at the back end, great. Uh, and you're also talking about, like, the Felix Bautista story is incredible. Um, he was 28, right? Like, he's 28 when he busted out on the scene. So it's not it's not like this guy was old reliable and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like, he got hurt. He, he was – he burst on the scene. He had one of the most incredible seasons last year. He probably would have been in a Cy Young discussion – uh, had he made it through the full season just because of how electric he was at the back end. But there's no guarantee he's going to be exactly like that next year. So I don't, I don't see that. I think I, if I'm looking short-term, I'm willing to move because you still have plenty of prospects that, that I think could acquire a guy like Classe, especially if you're a team like the Guardians where, uh, you know, like a, a high-leverage reliever doesn't do you anything if you're not a 500 team. I agree. So, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's a midway through the season, but if you're midway through the season, you're probably going to have a lot of suitors too. So I, I, I just think it, it boils down to what the Guardians are asking for and what, uh, what the front office is willing to part with. I have had an opinion that hasn't been shared by everyone throughout the offseason. I've had the opinion, Ryan, that I still think they could use one more thumper in the lineup too. And I know that some people would say, hey, that, that thumping is going to come – development-wise, that more of these young guys are going to start hitting more home runs and that, you know, like more of Gunnar Henderson's doubles are going to turn into home runs. But when I look at the lineup from afar, I see Anthony Santander as a legitimate home run, power, like fearful threat. And I don't know how many of these other guys, the opposing pitchers, are really fearful of them putting balls out of the ballpark. Do you feel like they could use one more thumper? Or are you confident that, you know, these young guys are going to turn into that during the course of this season? Um, I mean, there's always going to be some sort of regression with players, especially early in their career. So you might see Gunner take a, you know, go backwards for a little bit and then go forward again. Uh, I mean, it, it would be nice to have a thumper, but I don't think it's necessary. I really like the length of the lineup right now because of the quality of the bats. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that stood out with Baltimore last year, and, and God, I don't know how many games we did nationally for, for the Orioles last year. It was like four or five. 
Um, but what the Orioles did exceptionally well was that they did not swing at pitches outside the strike zone. And, and that is a much better indicator of, of team offense versus just finding some guys that, like a, that, that can hit the ball long. So, you know, if you start stringing some bats together, you take your walks, I think you're going to get some pop. You know, Ryan Mountcastle, I, like I like his homers. I like Santander. You have no idea what Jackson Holiday is capable of doing. Right. If he does get a chance to play every day, we'll see. Um, but I think you're okay. I, I would rather I would rather focus on the bullpen than anything else because I don't think the the cost of acquisition is quite as high. All right, let me come back to you. You brought up you know the Bobby Witt, and it, it's a complicated on a bunch of levels because when when the new ownership came in last week, Ryan, there was a lot of excitement in Baltimore that this could change the trajectory for their ability to keep this core intact long term, and I. I'm a little bit apprehensive about that for multiple reasons, and I'll lay them out one by one. The first one is I don't think you can give Adley Rutschman the Bobby Witt deal because Adley Rutschman's a catcher. I don't think the Orioles are willing to go. But what was interesting to me was that I wondered how much of an appetite Adley Rutschman would even have being one year away from arbitration anyway for even considering an extension at this point. The fact that Bobby Witt, who was in a similar situation, was only a year away from arbitration, was willing to do it, should should I be learning a lesson that even though someone's close to making real money, that doesn't mean they aren't inclined to listen? Should this be a lesson that maybe Adley Rutschman would still be willing to listen to the idea of signing, even if it's not for you know 11 years, because it's just not likely that somebody's going to do that for a catcher? I mean, if I offered you a hundred billion dollars right now, would you listen? I mean, yeah, like, I, I hear it, you. I, I mean, it's a, there's a human reaction, no matter what, of, of hearing like you have a chance to make this. Now, the business side, and you know, in the case of of Adley, I, I disagree with you. We 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 ran through this exercise a week ago too, where we were saying like, which of the Baltimore group would you extend right now? Um, you know, we had one guy take. Uh, Jackson Holiday. Somebody else took Gunnar Henderson. Uh, I think another one my my uh, contemporaries took Mayo. And I was like, I'm taking Adley. And and the reason why is I think in the history of the game is if you looked at the Im- impact of of just elite catchers, and catchers do get better with age. That's it's the one position player group in baseball where you you've seen catchers get better hmm. as they get older because they learn the, they learn the league. Um, there is a there is the risk of injury, which is concussions. Um, but you know, when you talk about like a guy like Joe Maurer or Buster Posey, uh, when you think about Yadi Molina, I mean, like it is rare that you ever find a team that gets to the postseason with a terrible catcher. It just doesn't happen. So, like elite catchers usually lead teams to the postseason. And in the case of Adley, if if I'm offering him a deal that's north of twenty six million dollars a year. I feel like that's a lot of bang for my buck, especially knowing that he impacts both my 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 clubhouse, my pitching staff. Yeah. It's just a bet. I I think he's I think he's worth the price of of an extension. So I don't think I'd be risk adverse either when it comes to an extension with that. The other the other two, Gunner and Jackson Holiday. The tricky part of that conversation is someone that you know well. Of course, that's that they're Scott Boris guys, and I I, I just. I don't know. My gut tells me that you can't do that. Knowing Scott Boris the way that you do, should I be slamming the door as much as I am about the possibility of it? Or is there more flexibility there 
than just him saying, guys, we don't do this. We go to the open market. That's the way that it works. Yeah, no, I look, there's plenty of examples of Scott signing, having guys sign long-term deals early in their contracts. Uh, I mean, he's, he's not, he's not the one that makes the decision. It's ultimately the player and his family. He presents it. So no matter what the offer is, he presents the offer. He'll also suggest like, listen, if you go through the normal arbitration and then free agent process and you continue to be a good player, yeah. you should make north of this. But if you want to take this deal, by all means, take it. It's a, it's a good deal. It's going to be, you know, if you play it to your level, you're, you're going to leave $50 million on the table. But other than that, like if that's what you're comfortable with, go for it. So I don't think, I don't think Scott's going to prevent any long-term extension for, for any of these young players. It just comes down to, you know, does Jackson Holiday want to be a Baltimore Oriole for this amount of time, or does Gunner want to be a, an Oriole for this amount of time? And then there's also the responsibility when you're that good of a player. Uh, you know, there certain players, you know, they like to raise the market for the rest of the league. Um, and so there is that aspect where, you know, like you don't want to take a, a market deal if you're the best player in baseball or best prospect in baseball that, that ends up hurting another player down the road that might be willing to do the same thing. So it's a little bit more complicated. If it was just me, you know, as a fourth outfielder, I'm taking anything. Right. <laughs> uh, but when you, when you have, when you're a certain, when you're at the top of the market, there's a, there's a, a responsibility a little bit more beyond just the player that that oftentimes uh, gets overlooked. Can, can I ask just because it, it's interesting with Bobby Witt, right? Like th- this is precedent setting for younger players. What do you think the reaction was from the, the player community about the Bobby Witt deal? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Like you're, yeah. you're like first off, uh, players we like seeing guys stick with one team. We we love it. Like it's it's better for the game when you know like a certain player synonymous with the, with the organization or a franchise. You like look forward to that. When you, when you see the Royals are on the schedule, you're like, hell yeah, we're going to see Bobby Witt. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, you also like it when a team like Kansas city is committed to winning, you know, like that's another optic that for players you are like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Like I want to go for Kansas city. They're willing to reinvest in their players. And then from uh, ultimately the, the price and length of the contract, I think anything that's north of, of Ronald Acuna or Ozzy Albies, which yeah. is like a total, you know, total scam by, by Atlanta, yeah. uh, players are happy. Like that, $26 million a year for essentially 11 years if he does the opt ins is, yeah, it's probably below market if he ends up being a superstar player. But like that's hard to say $277 million is not, you know, good enough. So, so that's, I think players are are fine with his deal. They're 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 completely comfortable with it. It's when you see uh, you know like a front loaded deal that you know that that is so below market when you know that the player has a chance to if you just go through arbitration you make that. Um, this is not the case. So you know the league is more or less happy about it. So the long and short of it is the Orioles should get this done with Gunner tomorrow, right? That's 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 what we're really saying here is that offer him. Uh, uh, slightly more than Bobby Witt, and go get it done tomorrow, and everybody's happy. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, look, there, I, I always point this out. There's a reason why organizations offer these contracts early to players is because it's still saving them money, yeah. uh, and it's still saving them decisions. One of the best things a front office can do is save themselves from heartache. 
and you know not and be put in a position where they're having to make a choice of a trade or something like that um, because they're worried about free agency or, or or losing this guy. So if you know if I'm Baltimore, I'm doing the same type of thing: a seven-year guaranteed with some opt-outs after year seven. That's what that way you have him in his peak years. If he wants to opt into those three, you got it, and then you got a club option on the back end. Uh, and that's a that's a nice structure for a win-win for both sides. You get somebody locked up, the the city's pumped up, and then you have one of the league's best players uh, in in your uniform for a guaranteed seven years, which is still a really damn long time. There, uh, the average length of the major league career is less than three years. So that's. <laughs> I- that's that's the best way to think about it. I'm taking it. I'm taking it tomorrow. And actually, if it were to be announced tomorrow, we'd probably throw a parade, right? And that's that's the reality. Uh, at SpillyGoat19, of course, on Twitter is how you follow him. And uh, what's the schedule look like for you with MLB Network Radio? Uh, five days a week, noon to well, actually, it's two to five Eastern. Uh, you can catch us on loud outs and then, uh, yeah, we're getting ready for spring training. Always appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Hopefully we'll be seeing more of you in Baltimore this season and appreciate you spending time with us. Ryan Spielborg's with us here on GCR. It's interesting, right? He was a Boris client and he says, don't just shut it down. Don't just say no way, no how, no, sir. I, I, I still think that you're fighting an uphill battle. I do think it's fascinating that Bobby Witt Jr., who presumably, I'm going to guess that Matt Holiday made more money than Bobby Witt Sr. did in their career just because of the time and the caliber of player. Bobby Witt was a, a, a hell of a pitcher, but I think Matt Holiday was a more accomplished player. I'm going to guess that Matt Holiday was wealthier, although Bobby Witt's been working as an agent, so I don't know how that's... I, I, I don't know if that came level but it's interesting that someone that you would look at inherently and say well he comes from money probably doesn't need money was still willing to do it and I wonder if there's a parallel there perhaps with Jackson Holiday we can only hope we can only hope Cardinals are paying Matt Holiday through 2029 that was a deferred money deal yeah how much was his career earnings for Matt Holiday 155 at the moment 155 yeah. million yeah. and uh, 164 Total. Uh, by 2029. And what was Bobby Witt Sr.'s mm. career earnings? I'm going to guess it was not quite $100 million. Yeah. I'm going to guess just because, because of the timing. Bobby Witt was a nice pitcher, but I'm going to guess he did not make any, anywhere close. I'll say not. 70 at most, 70 million. Maybe not even that. Not Bobby Witt Jr. No, I don't want Bobby Witt Jr. No, neither do he I. Isn't, he isn't. Uh, let me, can I get back to you? I know. I know. Oh. That hard? All right, let's do County Sports Zone Radio. Why don't we do that? Uh, County Sports Zone Radio brought to you by Toyota. We are really happy. Toyota, if you think you know high school basketball, go to countysportszone.com where you can pick the winners and earn points to see where you stand on the leaderboard. That's at countysportszone.com presented by your local Toyota dealers. And joining us every Tuesday to let us know what's going on in the world of local high school sports he is our friend Wes Brown from County Sports Zone, and he's with us now here on GCR. Wes, it's Glenn. It's good to talk to you as always. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, a couple of let's start on the basketball side, and a couple of big uh, storylines this week. Uh, you pointed out there's a big one, uh, a big revenge game for uh, uh, South River against Arundel this past week. 
Yeah, yeah. South, South River uh, pulled out a nice seventy-one-seventy uh, victory in, in 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 a heck of a contest down there in in Anne Arundel County. Um, Arundel had beaten them by ten um, at home early in December, so uh, a tight battle there for for two of the, the 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 best teams there in Anne Arundel. And then what's going on with St. Francis these days? Yeah, last week we talked about how how important it was for them to pull out that win against uh, Glenelg Country, but then they they've gone off and and lost three in a row. Um, lost to uh, Malik Washington and, and Spalding in a close game, but then um, 10 points to Reddy and then a, a blowout loss to, to Paul the Six. So um, stumbling a little bit there for, for one of the top teams in the state. How is Malik Washington as a basketball player, by the way? this I, I asked this, like, ironic. I, I, I'm kidding, but only a little bit. There's no world where, like, a, a team could, you know, a school could say, hey, if we could let you be a walk-on off the end of the bench for basketball, maybe we can get you to come here and play quarterback, is there? Uh, I mean, th- there is, you know, team, team, teams have tried it in the past. It's obviously a little difficult if you're, you know, trying to be the quarterback on a, on a good team because then your your December, you know, is also cut yes. into, and then you you deal with, you know, leaving after the after this after, right after football season. Uh, Maryland actually wanted to try that with uh, Corey Deitches. He kept saying that he wanted to try and uh, uh, walk on the basketball team there, but but he wasn't able to make it work. So it probably would be tough for a quarterback, but you know he's definitely talented. I think he had a double double in that game. Mm. Uh, so he's he's just one of the, the the best athletes overall in the the state, not just the top quarterback. Uh, perhaps some people don't know that on uh, Maryland's national championship roster years ago, quarterback Calvin McCall was uh, came off the bench for that Maryland basketball team. Um, the player of the week for this past week also comes to us from basketball. Yeah, uh, Kenyon Johnson from from Walkersville, uh, nineteen points, thirteen rebounds, and three blocks, and a sixty six to forty nine win over Williamsport uh, last night. Um, so uh, a strong win there. Uh, the the Lions clinched a share of their division title for a third straight season. Um, so a, a strong player on a strong team. Uh, but that's that, that, that's pretty much a, a heck of an effort there for for nineteen and thirteen. All right, he is Wes Brown, County Sports Zone Radio here on GCR. Let's hop, hop over as we're talking about football a second ago. Uh, the Big 33 All-Star event and some news related to rosters. Yeah, so, so part of the, the fun part about the spring is the, the Big 33 game here uh, between Pennsylvania and Maryland. Uh, Maryland hasn't, you know, they, they, they've struggled a bit against Pennsylvania, but, but it's still always a, a good game. Uh, part of the initial part of the roster is coaches going through and, and selecting some players that they think, you know, should, should definitely be on the roster. And we had two unanimous selections this year. Uh, Keyshawn Mister, the the quarterback, you know, athlete out of, out of Concordia Prep, who helped lead them to a, a B conference title, and then Carter Hess, an, an O line D lineman from Fort Hill, uh, one of the biggest, you know, linemen and, and strongest guys I saw at the MPSSAA championships, uh, pull, pulled out a, a championship there as well. Um, the rest of the rosters are going to be selected through you know combines and workouts and all that stuff. Uh, with, with the game later this spring, but they, they, they've at least got the two, you know, cornerstone pieces of this this big, this year's Big Thirty Three roster. Uh, Keyshawn Mister is going to Old Dominion, right? That's where he's committed yes. to play. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so, run me through when is the Big Thirty Three game this year? Uh, Memorial Day weekend, okay. uh, I believe, up in, up in Hershey. Yeah, and they play it up in Hershey. And um, it, it, do is it always are does everybody always play or the, do I remember that like some years some of the top guys don't play in the big 33 game because they're just sort of getting on with what they're doing a lot of the top guys usually opt out at least on the on, on the on the Maryland side of things um, you don't usually get too many kids from you know especially like the private schools but usually you still get a, a, a decent crop of talent um and 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 this year also they, they the the big thing for the big 33 is uh someone from all these Super Bowls 
have been in there uh, from the Big 33 game, and and this year is uh, the, the the streak keeps going. So every every single Super Bowl, there's been somebody who's participated in in a Big 33. I don't think game. I even realized that. That's pretty remarkable. Pretty yeah. remarkable. That's the case. All right. Uh, remind everybody about what's uh, going on at County Sports Zone. Yeah, so two and a half weeks left here of, of regular season play. Um, you can tune into to County Sports Zone for the scores, schedules, um, and, and all that stuff as we as we get ready for for playoffs. Um, and then also we have a CSC Pick'em, uh, different contests for different counties uh, throughout the week. Um, simply just just sign up, select a contest, you know, swipe either side for which team you think is going to win, um, and, and climb the leaderboard there. And you can invite friends and and, and play along with there. Uh, so it's a super fun way to, to be involved more with high school sports. And it's, of course, countysports.zone and then social media for CSE and for yourself. Yep. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at CSE scores. And then I am at W underscore Brown 21. Very good. Wes Brown, appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. All right. All right. Sounds good. It's Wes Brown from County Sports Zone with us here for County Sports Zone Radio. Kevin Givens is a defensive tackle from the 49ers who is from Altoona, Pennsylvania. Went to Altoona area and played in the Big 33 game. He is who keeps the streak alive. They they want um they want it to be noted that Brett Veach, the general manager of the Chiefs, is also someone who played in the Big 33 game. I would suggest that if that's how the streak has stayed alive, then the streak is not actually alive. I don't think it's that that counts in any way. I think it's got to be a player, but hey. they definitely have a player, Kevin Givens, contributing who, uh, to the game of football. Still, that's fine, all well and good. Streak, but if you want it to be a streak, it's got to be a player got to be a player by the way bobby witt senior not even close not even in the same 21 million i believe not even not even the stratosphere so there is a significant difference there like bobby bobby witt jr comes from wealth jackson holiday comes from wealth baseball field in his backyard yes well apparently in his in his garage right yeah video of like he's got an apartment that like connects to an indoor baseball facility must be nice must be nice it really must our number one of today's show is in the books it was brought to you by just want to hang out with book yeah i mean it'd be cool i was young like now i'd be over that but if i was it'd be heaven if i was 20 the coolest thing in the world just wake up and go hit the batting cages for a little while it'd be awesome uh, Superbook has all of those props that you're looking for. You want to get in on the action. The line for the game continues to be 49ers minus two. But they have so much more than that. Uh, they've got a squares that you can bet. Like, you want to bet numbers for squares. They've got that available. You don't have to play it. You don't. This is not like when you play a squares contest and you get given numbers. You can go pick your own numbers. Right now at Superbook. Any, if you think there's going to be a quarter that ends at 7-7, like that's going to be the score at the end of the first quarter, and you want the 7-7 square, go get it right now at Superbook, plus 400 odds at any quarter. So if it's 7-7, 17-7, 27-17, anything like that, the same way that you would win a squares contest, you can win from Superbook. That is available right now. And also, of course, tonight, uh, Maryland hosts Rutgers, eight-point favorites, the Terps, against the Scarlet Knights this evening. So get, get in on that action, superbook.com. Download the Superbook app. Use the code GlennClark23 when you sign up. You'll receive up to $250 in a same-day first bet match, win or lose. Speaking of Maryland, Patrick Stevens joins us next on GCR. 
Hey, it's Jeremy Kahn. This postseason, bet in person at the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbooks with locations in Canton and in Towson, and enjoy the best in-class sports wagering experience at their state-of-the-art facilities, bringing an unmatched sports betting thrill. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. There's so much focus on sports betting these days, but I want to talk about an area that nobody wants to gamble on. Where you choose to go out and spend your hard-earned dollars to eat. The Casas Inn is no gamble at all. The quality on their menu is outstanding, and the value is off the charts with a great and varied list of special Monday through Friday. And the staples of the menu, whether it's salads, burgers, fish, they're all fantastic. And I haven't even mentioned the crabs or crab cakes yet. So check out the menu for yourself at CostasInn.com. When choosing a place to dine, never gamble on the food you put in your belly. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard or call 410-477-1975 for reservations and your steam crab orders. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken. A family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria? A.J. Michaels, heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. Hungry? With seven locations throughout Maryland, Glory Days Grill is always right around the corner. They have wings, burgers, salads, sandwiches, and drinks to satisfy everyone, as well as tons of televisions and sound delivered right to your phone. Glory Days is the best place to watch football or whatever your favorite sport is. While you're there, be sure to check out Goose Flights Lager, named in honor of legendary Raven Tony Goose Siragusa. $2 of every can is donated to the Goose Flights Foundation. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. One of the things that's definitely wrong with this country is that this dude still has a job somehow, some way. Glenn Clark. He is uh, Drew Forrester, and he'll probably be with us tomorrow, I assume. Which is good, because i got to get into what's wrong with this country. I've got some stuff to get off of my chest. All right, uh, today's show, Tuesday edition of the program. Still to come this morning, Ryan Jensen will join us. Of course, former Baltimore Ravens, Super Bowl champion, just announced his retirement from the NFL. But every Tuesday, we get caught up in what's going on in the world of local college sports with our friend, Mr. Patrick Stevens, at Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter is how you follow him, Washington Post, USA Lacrosse Magazine, among other places. Patrick, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? I am well this morning, Glenn. How are you? Everything is good here. Um, I, I, I don't know. That, 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 that on Saturday night from Maryland was probably about, that's about right, right? Like, yep. It, that's right just, on right bit you know again a team that's playing great defense yep um and it 
you look at the Kempom rankings. They're sixth nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. That's amazing. Sixth. The last time Maryland ranked sixth or better in adjusted defensive efficiency in the Kempom rankings was the Steve Francis year. <laughs> That's incredible. That's really incredible. Okay. Uh, but that team could score. Okay. That team that that team also happened to be 16th in offense. Yeah. This team is 170. Yeah, not and not so great. It, it and yeah. So basically, if you take the the adjusted offensive number, which is 106.7 points adjusted for competition and all that, um, per hundred possessions, the the last time that Maryland had a team that struggled as much offensively was Mark Turgeon's first season. Which you might recall, there was a you know there were a no players. smaller, a smaller scoring guard on that team. That's true, and they were really good at getting to the foul line, just like this team does. Well, but that team couldn't play defense. But that team couldn't play defense at all. Whereas the, whereas this one can stop just about anybody. But if you can't score, it doesn't really matter, does it? At what point are they officially out of time to try to put some sort of resume together? Well, not having another trip, you know, you look at the remaining road games, right? What's going to help you? Um, and realistically, the only game on there that really helps you winning away from home is Wisconsin. the Wisconsin. Yeah, game. Wisconsin. Like Ohio State, Rutgers, Penn State um, probably don't help you a ton. And candidly, at home, Rutgers, Iowa, Indiana probably don't help you a ton. So it's, it's gotten late now. Uh, and it's getting to the point where you know, they're reliably going to be in just about every game. Uh, and at this stage, if you're basically getting a split in games that you're in, game in and game out, that sounds about right. But uh, you know, I, I do think the schedule helps them down the stretch. You know, that closing stretch at Rutgers, Northwestern, Indiana, at Penn State, on paper is the sort of thing where you can string some wins together. But realistically, does any of them other than maybe beating Northwestern really help you? Probably not. Uh, so I, I suspect that what we're looking at, if we had to pull out a crystal ball and say, what are things going to look like in six weeks going into the Big Ten tournament? It'll be a team that is hanging on on the periphery of the conversation. It's like you're going to have to go win like three games in three days or something like yeah. that to have a chance. And I don't. I don't know if they are deep enough or capable enough on offense to be able to pull that off to string three good enough offensive performances together. I give them credit for having not packed it in when they very well could have at this point. But it is at the same time, you know, you just there's just not enough. You know, we can sit here and say it's it, it's inconsistency, but that's not the problem. It's consistent. Like right. this, this is a consistent who they are. thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is who this is who they are. They they just struggle to score, and you know a lesser team would not be as good as this one is on defense and would be a complete mess. And instead, it's a team that has its limitations, but to its credit has has managed to kind of bob along. Um, it's just not it's just not at the level necessary uh, to be able to be a to be an at large team in all likelihood. All right, so as we've talked about throughout the course of the season, the team that seems to have the best chance of any of the locals of getting to the NCAA tournament is Towson. Is what happened on Saturday just 
the lesson of the difficulty of playing on the road in the CAA with short turnarounds? Is there anything more that you read into that other than, you know, you're, you're going to lose a road game. It's probably not the end of the world that they lost this one. Yeah, I, I, I am of the opinion that, they, that losing a game to a decent Hoster team, like Hoster's probably underperformed a little bit in conference play, uh, but losing to a decent Hoster team and doing it in a very Towson way, which was playing de- pretty good defense. You only gave up 59 points. Uh, it's kind of a reminder that you know sometimes offense comes really, really hard for the Tigers. And we saw that even on Thursday in the first half when right. they were playing Northeastern. Right. That was that was not good, uh, and they turned it around, played really really well the final I don't know twenty five minutes or so of that game, twenty eight minutes or so, and they won five in a row going into that, and they'd beaten Drexel and they'd won at Charleston and Delaware, and so I'm not inclined to overreact to a three point loss on the road to a decent team when their strength held up as their typical strength. I mean, if if that was a eighty spot that Hoster had put up, maybe you sit there and wonder a little bit, but. I also think that the schedule is very much in their favor over the next couple of weeks. They get four of the next six at home with the two road games in that stretch, uh, being at William and Mary and at Hampton, who are among the bottom four teams in the league. So I think that they can get on a roll a little bit here. And if they're sitting there and they've won something to the effect of, you know, I don't know, maybe nine out of 10 going into that Charleston game. That's their home finale on the 24th of the month. That's a pretty good spot. And I think right now, too, you know, we've talked about this many times. It's worth reiterating. Your goal in that league is get the double buy and put yourself in a spot where you only have to win three games. And right now, they're in a spot where they only have to win three games. Uh, and uh, if you beat Delaware come Thursday, then you've, got, you've created some separation between yourselves and the Blue Hens, and you have a season sweep. So, I still think there's a lot to like there. I certainly question uh, how efficient their offense is, uh, but defensively they're going to be in just about every game because of how tough they are. Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. Before we get to lacrosse uh, on the national front, I know a nice win for Kansas State, and, of course, Carolina beats Duke. Is there is – there, is, do we have any sense yet of the significance of the Dartmouth ruling or – like, do we still need to let that play out a little while before we can ever get to get to the bottom of what that's going to mean for college sports? Well, there's going to be an appeal, and so you know, there's that issue. You know, all these things have, uh, and I don't know specifically about this particular ruling, but how many things have we seen yep. that everybody's gone, oh, this is great, but oh, look, here are the unintended consequences. Yeah, there's so, been a few of those. Okay, and so. What's to stop? What's what's for a school to? to I, when I look at that and the and the unionization and all that, you can unionize, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing that says these schools have to pay people to do anything, right? Right. right. Like, like there's nothing to say you have to field a basketball team or a field hockey team or a men's soccer team or a golf team, and so it's not implausible that. Some schools might say, okay, we just won't do this anymore in, uh, in certain sports. Now, it's also important to understand why, what the general idea of having non-rev sports is in a lot of schools, which is you bring in students that are not getting full rides for the most part. 
they're not getting full scholarships. So you're getting students into your student body that are, are paying you. And not only that, but especially at a school like a Dartmouth or a, you know, a high-end academic school, you're banking on people having great experiences so that 30, 40 years down the road, they're giving you money after they've had you know, as they're in the middle of successful careers. So there's all these little things. It's not just simply, oh, well, you know, I'm an employee because I have to put all this work in because I'm a member of the basketball team. So you do this and there's all sorts of threads and all sorts of ripples that could come of this. And I'm, listen, I'm not a labor lawyer and I don't claim (laughs) to be, but I, but I'm, I do think that sitting there saying that it's a really easy explanation uh, would not be a very, very smart thing to do. I think all of that makes a lot of sense, and I tend to agree with most of what you're saying there. All right, uh, for as far as the first weekend in lacrosse, you know, I was over at Loyola, and to me it looked like a case of one team that had a lot of guys back and cohesiveness and another team that didn't, and in that way maybe I shouldn't have been all that surprised by the result uh, of Loyola getting a really good window open the season against Georgetown. Hey, you even got to see the first successful challenge sure I did. heard. Sure did, and I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> Both Gunkel and I thought absolutely that that was a good goal. And then the thing at the half was was amazing. It was incredible. I, you know, I, I come away from it saying, I, I, it's, and we had the conversation a year ago, I don't think Loyola can keep winning at this clip without winning more faceoffs. And, like, they got a little bit better in the second half. But I, I, it's so difficult to do that. I, I, I still think that that comes away a bit alarming um, for their ability to compete at the highest level. And, you know, I know Colgate didn't back it up against uh, Syracuse. It's a quick turnaround and a tough spot to do it. But, like, you know, that's a pretty statement win for Colgate and a reminder the Patriot League is going to be really tough this year. Yeah, we haven't even gotten into We know Army and BU are going to be pretty good because right. they've got a bunch of older guys. And, you know, Lehigh acquitted itself pretty well in its first game under, under Will Scudder, the new coach who succeeded Kevin Cassis, and they, they lost by two at Rutgers. Uh, and, and Navy played well against Mount St. Mary's in its opener. So you're right. The Patriot League, uh, not going to be a breeze. But if you're Loyola, you feel great about being able to you know, have that much working for you at the offensive end, uh, being able to get out and transition a little bit, even without the faceoff win. They were still able uh, to do that Loyola thing that they like to do. So, you know, you, you, if you're Loyola, you, this is much preferable taking off Georgetown in the first weekend of the season rather than, you know, waiting to play them in the middle of the week. That has not worked out for the Greyhounds very well over yeah. the last few years, yeah. uh, playing them late, late in mid-April or so. So uh, that's a plus for Loyola for sure. Uh, you know, elsewhere I would say, you know, Hopkins coin flip game against Denver. You know, the funny thing about Hopkins was, was that it was not – they had good players last season, but it was a, it was a very balanced thing. There wasn't like a single guy that you were looking at and, and that was just going to be unstoppable. Now, the flip side of that is is that you, that makes you kind of vulnerable. Somebody, there's probably not somebody that's just going to carry you to a victory. And I suspect that Hopkins probably feels like it let one get away, having been up three with four minutes to play yep. uh, against Denver before J.J. Solstrop went nuts and scored three to close out regulation and then the winner in overtime. Uh, and Maryland had a bit of a scare too, by the way, yep. um, down at Richmond. Double which overtime. Really right? good, really good team, Richmond. Um, basically brought back all but four or five guys from a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year. So not a surprise to me that, that Maryland had some problems there. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll hear from both of those teams before all is said and done. 
So, of course, uh, Towson Hopkins today stands out, and then this coming Saturday, Loyola, Maryland, uh, looks like a pretty good one at noon. All right, it's time for our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams this particular player has played for or managed? And the first one is our manager for this week. And it's five teams, but I would tell you he's yet to have managed a game for his fifth team. It's his current team is his fifth. So five teams, including this one, for Bob Melvin is the first name on our list. Well, let's go and let's let's go in kind of reverse here, right? He He's going into his first season with San Francisco. Oh, of course he is. And he was in San Diego the last two or three seasons, correct? Last two years, yep. Uh, 22 last and 23. two years. And before that, he was in Oakland for what, like about eight or nine years, uh, right? Uh, 11 years in Oakland. 11, 11 years, to wow. t- 11 to 21, 11 seasons in Oakland. And before that, he was in Arizona for, what, maybe three or four years? Uh, five years there, 05 to 09. And then Seattle before that, to I, begin his manager. I had career. utterly forgotten about Seattle, like completely so, and totally. So here's, so here's a question, since, since you probably have it up. Yes. How many teams did Bob Melvin play for? Uh, and you know, I'm thinking. It, do you want to, okay, this, so it doesn't count because he was never an all-star, right? He's but never an all-star. Yeah. If you wanted to do this and we just save the other players that we had for next week, I'm totally good with it. But it is Let, let's do let's do that. Let's just do right. a Bob Melvin special. All right. It was seven teams for Bob Melvin. Okay. All right. Well, that's probably a little bit more yeah. than I thought it was. Yeah. Um Well, I remember him definitely with Detroit. You sir I, I don't first of all, I don't know how you do, but that's where he started his career in nineteen eighty five. And then he was definitely a giant then, too, yep, correct? He certainly was. And I, I know he was an Oriole. Most definitely was. Um, from there, it's pretty much guesswork it's, for me. And, I'll and, admit, and nothing more than a season now. Nothing more than a season yeah. for anybody. Okay. Yeah. Um, how about Texas? Not Texas, no. Yeah. See, this this was guesswork. Yeah. Kansas City. Kansas City, yes, in 1992. So that's the next stop. Okay. So you've got he spent a full season somewhere in '93, and then. Despite the fact that it wasn't even a full season, he split 94 between two teams. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, a split season for the strike season. Yes. Um, that's, uh, that's dicey. Um, so, Bob Melvin... Um, Bob Melvin might have been a red? Oh, no, not a red. Not a red... And how's about we throw uh, how's how's about we throw uh, the Cardinals in there? If I told you, you should have just gone with the most reasonable guesses. The most reasonable guesses might have been like Oakland, Seattle, and oh, San Diego. yeah, just go with the teams that he managed. I was gonna say go with the teams that everybody tends to play for. So um, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. The Red Sox and the Yankees are definitely two of them. The Red Sox oh. in '93, the Yankees to start '94, and then he was traded to the or I don't actually know if it was even a trade. Uh, he finished 94 with the White Sox, and that was the okay. last step in his career. All right, uh, we'll save the others for next week. What's your schedule look like for this week, sir? Uh, headed to College Park. Uh, I, I was thinking of stopping in an orchard, getting a peach basket um, <laughs> for uh, for tonight's game. You think this one's going to take basketball back a little way? <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing. See, when you look at uh, – when you look at uh, how things will look in, in conference play. Um, you know, Rutgers and Maryland are the two least efficient 
offensive teams in Big Ten play and the two most efficient defensive teams in Big Ten play. So, you know, it's not – it's not a. It, it's a day to take the under. I suspect. I, I don't know what the under is specifically, but uh, I, I I I do think that we're looking at a pretty low scoring. I was trying to pull up what that uh, number we'll, is. We'll be at uh, George Mason, Loyola, Chicago tomorrow. Mount St. Mary's, Manhattan on Thursday, and then UConn and Georgetown uh, in what does not line up to be a particularly close game. Yeah, that looks like that could be a bit lopsided. <laughs> on, on on Saturday down in uh, down in DC. I, I, I saw I saw Marquette put on a show on Saturday down there. I mean that Georgetown played a part in it, but man, like you watch you watch Marquette when they're at their best and, and you're ready to hop on that bandwagon thinking that they could make a deep run. Uh, but another opportunity to see uh, Cam Spencer, obviously, on uh, It is another opportunity to see Cam Spencer. He's so. been playing well. Uh-huh. He has been playing really well. Uh, by the way, the number for tonight is 127.5. That is the total for. Well, it'll look like hmm. the Virginia game last night, tonight, maybe. Well, I don't know. What was Might this? Be, yeah. That was pretty bad last yeah. <laughs> Virginia, Miami, it was like, what was it? That, Miami scored 38 points. 60, 60 oh. to 38. Oh, yes. God. Yes, oh, there it is. The, God. La- the last time. The last time Miami scored 38 points in a game was December of 1948. Oh, <laughs> oh my! Jesus. Oh, that is bad. Now it's helped by the fact that there was a 15-year stretch where Miami didn't have basketball. Yeah, still, but, still, still. All and, right. And to give you to give you a sense of that that game back in 48, they actually won it. They beat Princeton, which apparently has, <laughs> has always, played slow down yeah, the same, offense the since same the beginning time. of time. Exactly right. Exactly. 37-35, and now and and that's all you need to know about the Miami 1948-49 basketball. Oh, look at you. That's that's our guy. That's Patrick Stevens <laughs> at Discourse D1 Escorts the Post USA Lacrosse Magazine, etc. Always appreciate you, pal. Let's talk again next Tuesday. All right. It's, Awesome, Glenn. Take care. That's Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. Uh, uh, okay, two things. So we have to make a decision. I don't know if you saw the tweet from John and Little Rock. Oh, I think I saw it, yeah. Creed is coming to Baltimore in November. Um, Now. Now. The, the, the agreement was you had to go next summer. That was, mm-hmm. that was what we said the penalty was. And, Mike, I don't even know if you're still going to be part of this program come next November. I don't even know if this program will still exist. Exactly. That's why I'm all like, good with putting it off, yeah. Right, yeah. You put it off and you hope that we all just die? Is that what you're hoping? No, no. Is that the world just Maybe. ends between now and November? I, I, I'm i I'm opposed. Okay. I'm opposed to us pushing it off that. It's just a long time. We had to deal this once with Andrew Stecka because, like, the pandemic hit and he couldn't oh. come back home in order to pay off one of his bets. And... Like the things that we forget about, and the sting is kind of gone from it a little bit. Also, in football season, we don't need more content. Like we have lots of content during football season. In the summer, we could we tend to to use a little bit more content. So, my opinion is that you should still have to go. Now, if it's getting into astronomical territory, as far as tickets are concerned. And it is such an ungodly significant difference. <laughs> we'll talk about it, but you need to present me that evidence quickly. Okay. All right? I am of the opinion that you need to go next summer because that was what was agreed upon, and that's the way that it works. That's my opinion. You can float it out to the rest of the boys if you would like. Speaking of which, 
The boys have done a very terrible job of presenting me side bet ideas for this week. So today, at some point, I'm just going to make the decision on my own. I'm going to end up doing it because you guys have done a, a wretched job. Would you please send a text to everybody? Remind them the circumstances. This week's picks are irrelevant, so what we'd like to do is a prop-based side bet game, but we need suggestions for the side bet. Okay. Send it out to the crew. Make sure I have the right group chat here. All right. Um, yeah, don't don't send it to the one where you send the those other pictures. Don't send it to that <laughs> chat. Um, and then tell them the decision's gonna be made by the end of, by a, by a cob today. Cob, we're making a decision about this. And I don't want to hear from anybody who's like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. You had your time. We're a team here. We gotta have a, we gotta close this with a bang, or else what the hell is the point of doing this? So that's what I want, so we can have a fun pick segment on Thursday, and bet on some of these Super Bowl props. All right, we gotta make a decision, and if they don't come up with good ideas, then I'm making the decision. I will be the cheer tater. This is not a cheermocracy. This is a cheer tatorship, and I am the cheer tater, and that's the way that it will go. Today's show brought to you by. This was brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. Griffin, what's going on at Live Casino and Hotel? Uh, Sports and Social, the place to be this Sunday for the big game at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. It features an on-site FanDuel location, and it is your ultimate spot to watch the big game on the massive 100-foot media wall. So order up your favorite game day bites, take a sip from our signature crushes and extensive beer selections, all just steps from the FanDuel Sportsbook. So watch, wager, and win at Sports and Social at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland this Sunday. At Adirondack Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. When we come back in, Ryan Jensen, former Raven, Super Bowl champion, had to announce his retirement from the NFL after some injuries that he's been through. We're going to catch up with him next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code GlennClark23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-2-3. So bet with the best. And use the promo code GlennClark23 this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's so much focus on sports betting these days, but I want to talk about an area that nobody wants to gamble on. Where you choose to go out and spend your hard-earned dollars to eat. The Casas Inn is no gamble at all. The quality on their menu is outstanding, and the value is off the charts with a great and varied list of specials Monday through Friday. And the staples of the menu, whether it's salads, burgers, fish, they're all fantastic. Fantastic. And I haven't even mentioned the crabs or crab cakes yet. So check out the menu for yourself at CostasIn.com. When choosing a place to dine, never gamble on the food you put in your belly. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard or call 410-477-1975 for reservations and your steam crab orders. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria? A.J. Michaels. Heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, AJMichaels.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. 
The latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it's our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we celebrate Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and the Orioles as our Team of the Year. With Stan the Fan Charles and Glenn Clark sitting down with Hyde to discuss his role in creating the culture that defined the Orioles' magic season. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2023. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Terps, and O's at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey Ravens fans, looking for the perfect new game day brew? Get a Guilford, Baltimore's finest craft beer during the next home game at the bank. That's not all. Gather your flock next home game and check out Guilford Hall Brewery's brand new bar, The Gilly Nest, located near Section 505. No tickets? No problem. Enjoy all Ravens games all season long at our restaurant and brewery in Station North. Guilford Hall Brewery, European tradition, Baltimore charm. Contrary to what some people believe, I actually like this guy when he sleeps. Glenn Clark, talking sports. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue to move along here on a Tuesday edition of the program. Said a, uh, sorry, John from Little Rock says peanut butter and corn sandwich with cheese doodles. Uh, I'm listening. Um. Yeah. I mean, I guess as long as I don't that, have that to. sounds terrible. So corn sandwich. I do like it to be. I, I mean, <laughs> sounds like a yes from Ken. Wait, Ken's just gonna say no to everything yeah. just to be a jerk. I do like it to be somehow related to either like the game or a, a trend Vegas or a trend that's like I. I don't like it to be utterly random. Like we like doing these things because you know it's a trend on the internet, or somebody, some athlete acknowledges they liked it, and people are talking about it, or you know it's related to a team involved or something like that. Like I wanted it to be something uncrustable related. Mm. So if you could come up with a gross version, like of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, where we have to take the crust off too, like I, I'd, I'd listen to that. And this is, you know, somewhat. This is in the neighborhood of that, peanut butter and corn, with cheese doodles. I mean, it's gross, but it doesn't sound like revolting. It just sounds like, why? Like, why would anyone do that? That's what I'm looking for. It's a good start to the conversation, and it's at least a suggestion, which is one more than everybody else has made so far. So I like that, but I need more as we continue to try to figure out what we're going to do as a punishment for uh, a side bet this week with uh, picks, as uh, we would like to do another picks contest for uh, the Super Bowl and all of the props. From Dan. Dan says, um, oh, yeah, you know, I I don't really have a lot to say about Toby Keith. Um, I was not like a particularly big Toby Keith fan, but I did like some Toby Keith songs, man. Like, How Do You Like Me Now is a song that I always liked and I would always sing along to. Like anybody of a certain age, if you didn't like Should Have Been a Cowboy, what are we doing? Um, I, I don't know. I like some Toby Keith songs. So whatever your opinion of him, I'm not trying to suggest that he was like a transcendent musician or anything along those lines. I think he was kind of a silly country music singer. But I like kind of silly country music sometimes. I like kind of silly anytime music. So yeah, awful news. Awful news today. Thank you for bringing that up. Awful news about Toby Keith passing away. Um, I didn't know anything that he was going through, but... 
um, safe home to Toby Keith, who has uh, passed away at the age of 62. Uh, was also a football player, if I remember correctly. I don't know if he played in college, but um, I think he played like semi-pro football. Big dude. Big dude, Toby Keith. I saw him somewhere, like Farm Aid or something like that. Somewhere, some show that I was at, Toby Keith played, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Not that I was a big, you know, massive fan. It was just cool that I didn't know he was there. So, um, yeah, awful, awful, wretched news about the passing of Toby Keith. Um, and, yeah, Chris, the Dartmouth thing that we just brought up with Patrick Stevens. And I don't know what to make of it at this point. Dartmouth, the, the National Labor Relations Board, officially ruled that Dartmouth basketball players are... This is, I'm reading the story from the Associated Press. An NLRB, National Labor Relations Board, regional official, ruled on Monday that Dartmouth basketball players are um, employees of the school, clearing the way for an election that would create the first labor union for NCAA athletes. All 15 members of the Dartmouth men's basketball team signed a petition in September asking to join Local 560 of the Service Employees International Union, which already represents some other employees at the Ivy League school in Hanover, New Hampshire. Unionizing would allow the players to negotiate not only over salary, but working conditions, including practice hours and travel. Quote, because Dartmouth has the right to control the work performed by the Dartmouth men's basketball team, and the players perform that work in exchange for compensation, I find that the petition for basketball players are employees within the meaning of the National Labor Relations Act, unquote, NLRB Regional Director Laura Sachs wrote. In a statement, Dartmouth basketball player representatives Kate Haskins and Romeo Myrtle called the ruling, quote, a significant step forward for college athletes, unquote, adding, quote, we are excited to see how this decision will impact college sports nationwide, unquote. They also announced plans to form the Ivy League Players Association for basketball players across the league. I don't know, and and Patrick sort of alluded to this, because what does this mean? One, as Patrick pointed out, it's going to be appealed. Like, this is not going to end here, and it will be interesting to see how it goes. This is basically a ruling of one person. It will be interesting to see how it goes on appeal, but even if it stands, and I would argue maybe that it should stand, but even if it stands, I don't know that it means that suddenly Dartmouth is going to be paying their basketball players. In unionizing, it might be interesting to be able to go to the table to talk about, like, for example, the travel portion of this is really interesting to me. You're talking about a point in which college athletics is going to be ripped apart based on... I say ripped apart. That's not the way to say it. It's going to be wildly different now for athletes with conferences that are in no ways regional. That are all over the country. Every, Almost every conference is going to be that way. And for football, that's one thing. But for sports that play... Midweek, it will be far more interesting to see what the impact of that is. In, in, in football, 
you know, Maryland will travel to the West Coast twice next year. Not the end of the world. In field hockey, in basketball, maybe maybe in basketball. And look, I, I'm sure that these conferences are going to work to try to minimize the the impact of how much they travel. But there's only four teams on the West Coast in the Big Ten. They're going to have to travel. Yeah. A lot lot more more. in order to play all these games. So it will be interesting to see. Maybe the only impact of this is it allows athletes to go to the table to say, this is absurd. Like, you don't just get to keep making these decisions without the input from the parties involved. Now, I don't think you can put the toothpaste back in the tube. I don't think you can get the West Coast teams out of the ACC and the Big Ten and the Big 12. I think that's done. But it will be interesting to see if there is any impact of unionizing from that standpoint. I don't think that part of this is that it's going to force schools to directly pay players, but it might forward that conversation. I think there's a lot of people that are asking these questions out loud well, hey, if we're basically doing this anyway, why don't we just do it directly? And maybe there can be a benefit to us. Like, you know that there are schools that are thinking to themselves, well, maybe if we just signed a contract, then we wouldn't have these players jumping into the portal every year, and it might make our coaches' jobs easier. Now, that doesn't allow them to kick them out you know what I mean like if they they have a contract they have yeah. a contract and it becomes a difficult two-way street but you know those conversations have been had it, it's interesting like what Jeff Halfley was the Boston College coach who left to take a job with the Packers and that was felt like one of those hey this just ain't worth it college coaches and I know that was that was a coordinator job, right? Like he took a he was yeah, defensive, yeah, defensive coordinator. coordinator with Green Bay. So that's not somebody would say that that's that's a jump that's worth making anyway because that gets you on track to be an NFL head coach. So even if it wasn't frustration with with the difficulty of the job, if that opportunity was on the table, you take it ten times out of ten. But it will be interesting to see if there are more of these instances, more times where you see college coaches say, it's just, you know, I just don't want to do this. Which I don't feel sorry for them for in any way. Like, they're getting paid, they're getting compensated, that's the nature of the job, you deal with that. But if that leads to the schools and the powers that be saying, huh, maybe we don't really want constant free agency. Well, how do we try to get around that with contracts? Now, are, is a 17-year-old kid willing to sign a contract? Probably. And would all, so they all the promise of money? That Now, some, the, the guys that are the most highly sought-after recruits might say, I'm not signing a four-year deal somewhere. So that would prohibit them from like going to the NBA if, or the NFL. They'd have to say four years at school or... Uh, that would be interesting. That would probably right. be something they'd have a, to you know, they'd have to deals. write it. They'd have to write that into a contract. Or th- that that's an interesting. 
Like, is it a is it a four year contract with an with an a pro out? Is the deal just you can't right. play for another college during the course of these four? Th- this is a totally different world that we're talking about that's not precedented. But that would be an interesting argument. Or would it be a four year? Hey, you're committed to playing here for four years, no matter what. I would feel like that would be more easily breakable, like in court, to say. You know, that, that, this is an eighteen-year-old kid. Like, but to say a non-compete, like you can't go compete against us. Gotcha. Going somewhere else, and we've would got a like, contract. If you're at Maryland, you can't transfer to a Big Ten team or something. I, I would, even. I would think that they would have the ability to say, like, if you play, if you have a contract to play with an NFL team, you can't just say, "I want out to go play for another NFL team." You can always retire. You can always stop playing NFL football, and that would be what going to the NFL would be. Like, you can stop playing college football, but. And it might be different for everybody. Again, it might be that the top, the five-star recruits that are getting the million bucks in NIL money that now maybe a school's willing to take in-house and say, well, we'll just pay you the money ourselves, which is essentially, their their NIL collectives work hand-in-hand with them anyway, so why not just take it in-house? If this gets broken down and this ruling stands and athletes are recognized as employees moving forward, if that proves to be the case, then it will be interesting to see what the next, you know, ramifications of that are. What, what are the next implications for what that means? And the next one to me would be that the schools recognize they're better off just doing these things in-house and then writing contracts. Let's just, let's just go ahead and pay the athletes. Let's do that. They get to keep their... You know, it's not every sport that would have that, obviously. It'd be very rare that non-rev athletes would demand contracts. It's not entirely true. We've seen lacrosse players have done really well in NIL. But would they demand contracts? I'm not sure. But if they do and the school's willing to pay them, then you give them a contract. I mean, that's it doesn't seem all that difficult. If the... I think the point is if there's money to be made, if there's profit to be made, the schools might say, why, are we, why aren't we just doing this? Why don't we just hire someone? If, if there are businesses that are willing to pay money to get this kid to play at Miami, why don't we just have them give us the money? What are we doing here? Why, why don't we just run this if there's profit to be made? Now, Somebody would say there's no profit to be made. This is just about, you know, business owners who have money to throw around that want their teams to succeed, and so they're willing to throw it at players. But, again, why wouldn't the school want a piece of that? It's all I'm, – I'm speculating, and I don't have answers. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't know that it will stand to the point that, like, they will... I I don't know that the union will hold up permanently. I don't know. Um... That's that's and, kind of a we'll see and so not necess- sort of situation. So not every school necessarily would have to do this either. Like if well, presumably you know, one by one. Presumably, if it stands, then oh, okay. why then, wouldn't every athlete at every school look to do the same thing? Like what? What's the harm? Right. 
I mean, the schools will fight against it. They'll they'll do the bit that everybody tries to do in business. We're like, hey, we want to tell you about all the harms of unionizing, and everybody looks around like, what? What? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? They'll all attempt to do it, but there's there's no actual reason why anybody wouldn't. You want what? Uh, John sent sent in another uh, another another oh, another f- suggestion. Another, yeah, another suggestion. Right, we'll look yeah. at it in a second. Okay. Um. I I don't know if it holds up. But I also don't, again, like, I, I think right now, college, we're in a very interesting period for college athletics, so they've got to figure out what this thing is actually going to look like moving forward. And the thing that, when they keep saying wild, wild west, I, I don't, it's not the wild, wild west. I just don't think it's as organized as they'd like it to be. And I think that's the headache is the organization. Part of the headache, undoubtedly, is that the athletes now have power, and they don't like that. There's no doubt. They don't like the athletes having power. But it would seem like the way to go about trying to combat that, and I I don't say it, again, like it's a bad thing, because I don't think it's a bad thing that the athletes have power. The way to combat it is via contracts, is via being recognizing that student-athletes are employees of the school, particularly in the sports that are profitable. And that's a strong argument to make. If you're making money off of us, then we're employees. And so if that's the case, I would think the contracts would be the way to combat it. To say, look, let's just acknowledge what this is. We're making money off of you. That's fine. You're going to build still the education into the contract. And not everybody... Like, it might very well be, you're still operating on the what is this athlete worth? And that's where the job of the general managers alongside the coaches will become more interesting moving forward. But I think it'll be basketball, football. That might be the case. It might be that that's the sustainable way for college athletics to continue is to recognize just for them to say, you're right, these are, these are employees, so let's give them contracts. Let's include the education as part of the deal, and we'll present it all to you. Here's what we think you are worth. And it clearly wouldn't be the same for a Loyola basketball player as it would be for a North Carolina basketball player. And there, there might be no money involved. It might be that the contract is simply providing the education and other you know, benefits of being an athlete. Maybe every now and then there's a Santi Aldama that they say, hey, we'll toss in some incentives, yeah. You a make- little bit of NIL money that we can find somewhere in order to pull this off. Maybe every now and then. But presumably at lower levels, there's just not going to be the the demand for that doesn't appear to exist. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, if they are like, you know, start adding in incentives, if you average 10 rebounds, you know, in a season, like then, and then these guys are, do, do we start seeing a lot more stat padding in a... Well, yeah, that's a different like conversation. I, you know, I'm not too worried about that. All right. Um, so John suggested, one more from John. John said, lime jello with pears, but with cheddar or cottage cheese. Yeah, that doesn't looks disgusting. really... It sounds disgusting to me. Does it? I I guess I don't I don't like cottage cheese. Cottage I mean, I don't love cottage cheese. Like I'm not a big cottage cheese guy, but in comparison to other things, that's what John Proctor said. Not the worst thing we've seen on here. I would ag- I would agree. Like in comparison to other things we've done, I mean lime jello lime jello with pears, but with cheddar or cottage cheese. Hmm. 
I don't I don't know. I don't know. Nick Kelly suggested sauerkraut juice cocktail. <laughs> sauerkraut juice can be purchased in cans and prepared for serving in the following manner. Uh, a can of sauerkraut juice, a teaspoon of bottled condiment sauce. What is that? A teaspoon of prepared mustard, salt to taste, and a speck of pepper. I mean, that's super gross. That sounds awful. And I'm even a man that's come around on sauerkraut in my life. I'm actually a sauerkraut fan now, but that sounds truly terrible. And I, I, I it also seems difficult in the preparation. I don't know. I, I got. I, can you actually go purchase sauerkraut juice in a can? Is I that mean, actually I, available I mean, somewhere? I don't. That sounds like something that Nick we'll Kelly's pulled look. out of a magazine from 1943. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sauerkraut juice. Yeah, I don't know that you can um, actually. I, I don't see. Oh, there's a can, actually. Frank's Kraut juice. It sounds. I feel like we got it. But, but uh, is there a tie-in, or is it just? Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just what Nick Kelly pulled out of that. I still, so uh, John in Little Rock's argument was that the pear thing is the uh, pear thing is something that they make in Kansas City. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. All right, I'll keep thinking about it. I'll keep thinking about it. Uh do we know what the story uh, is? he's stuck in a meeting at the moment. I think we're going to try and uh we're going to try and uh, get back catch up with him later. Okay. Later, like to, later, as in tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes. Okay. As in tomorrow. So it is. Yes. Uh, so it is. Uh, apologies, Ryan Jensen got caught up, and uh, we'll try to make that happen tomorrow. As always, you get two. You get two. That's the way that it goes. And then, although I like Ryan, so I'd probably be willing to work with him. All right. Well, then let's, uh, I guess, did we take all of our breaks? Are we, we good did. There? Yes, we did. Look at that. We're going to yeah. wrap the show up on time today. Oh, what a weird world. Um, there wasn't a lot of sports at Trivia last night. Not a great night. Apparently, this is common. The fi- first of all, the most disturbing thing that happened at Trivia last night. Question is, what's the state drink of Maryland? Hmm. Um, state drink? What, like pink lemonade? What? I don't. I mean, why I, would pink lemonade be the state drink of Maryland? Because I like it. Um, what? What are you six? <laughs> I mean, pink lemonade. Griffin's like, do you have any pink lemonade? Old Bay vodka, like I don't know, like I don't. Well, no, the obvious answer would be a Black Eyed Susan, like oh, that would be yeah. the thing. Black Eyed would, Susan. If you're gonna have a state drink of Maryland, it'd be a Black Eyed Susan. Now it was pointed out by someone at the table, like wouldn't would at some point they have changed it to a crush? And it was a good uh, argument, yeah. right? But it, the, we did find out in the question it said it was established in 1998. So the crushes didn't really. Their popularity came in the 21st century, so that didn't make sense. I don't know. So we just went with Black Eyed Susan, which was the obvious answer. And it was correct? No. Oh. Uh, not. Espresso Martini. Correct. Nope. Dumber. Seabreeze. Dumber. 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 Jack and Coke. Like, Dumber. Dumber. Gin and tonic. Dumber. Uh, Miller Lite. You are really, really dumber than Miller Lite. Dumber than Miller Lite. Dumber. And... And more basic. Oh, oh, oh. Then uh, Miller Lite. No. Oh. Dumber and more basic. You got Coors Light. Like no. Bud Light. Dumber and more basic. I'm trying to think of what's more basic than, than a light beer. Dumber and more basic than pink lemonade. Uh, water. Close. <laughs> um, um, uh, Do you know who the quarterback water. of the Baltimore Ravens was in 1998? Was that Jim Harbaugh? It was Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> and I think these two things might be related now knowing this. Because in 1998, no, 
No. Coffee? The official drink of the state of Maryland is milk. The dumbest thing that I have ever what heard in my and, other and frankly, we deserve to have lost our first ever home AFC championship game because of this. <laughs> this is a, a a shame upon our state. state this is an embarrassment. Average. This is laughable. Everyone else should be looking at us like big stupid idiots. Half the states uh, milk is the we got to do something beverage. about this. We have to do something Kentucky, about this. Kentucky, Nebraska, South Carolina. Imagine, Virginia, they don't Wisconsin. even drink milk in, when you go to school Delaware. in Kentucky and you're in sixth grade, they give you bourbon with lunch. PA, Tennessee, Oklahoma. This is of no, both Carolinas. No value to our society. Both Dakotas. It's laughable. Big Milk apparently started doing some. Big Milk. They got involved. They started pushing all these states to put over milk. And it's a joke, um, and it's time for us to do something about I'm it. I'm moving to Arizona. Lemonade is the state drink. That's, that's lame, too. What is the point? Now, if you wanted to say we want to have a state non-alcoholic drink and a state alcoholic drink, I guess. Like, I, if that's really what you want to do, God bless you. Go ahead and do that. But what is the point? Everyone knows milk exists. <laughs> the idea water. is to have something interesting. Indiana, the state drink is water. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's the least surprising thing. Although I wouldn't have been surprised if it was milk there either. Yeah, we're not going to be surprised by Ohio's either. Well, I mean, you'll be surprised, but then you'll be like, yeah. Ohio is. Yeah, I should I have you guess it? I don't know what. Tomato juice. <laughs> I almost said the f word out loud. <laughs> <laughs> what is the point of having a state drink? Uh, that's a good question. Good question. We we. This is this is embarrassing. Yeah, like a, there should be state it's cocktails. An, it's an embarrassment for an entire country. Like this is so incredibly stupid. I, I Ohio I really, was the first state to do a state beverage in in 1965. Well, like, do they have and a lot tomato of tomatoes juice. in Ohio or something? Like, is there some I can't. reason why it makes sense? We don't make more milk. It'd be one thing if like we were America's Dairyland. If you're in Wisconsin. And the state beverage is milk. You're like, okay, I get it, right? Like, it is. awful lot Word of dairy point. farms out here. Like, there's something to be said for that. That's not like Maryland produces more milk than any other place produces. So stupid. So, so, so stupid. And an embarrassing Did anyone get moment. it right? Uh, yes, yeah, one team got it right. And then you know what? They won. That was the difference. They got that right. They just said you win. Uh, Proctor Proctor says uh, uh, I could see a Bloody Mary with an Old Bay rim as being eh. Should probably be a, a crush. That's our thing. Like that's our that's our thing. Stupid big stupid state. Big stupid. I hate it. Yeah, Don't apparently talk about Maryland that way. Apparently, the final question was common knowledge. What president uh, was late? What who was the only president? to have been elected to be a senator after they served as president. Apparently, super common knowledge. We actually guessed it, got it right, but wagered zero because we were utterly guessing. Woodrow Wilson. And truth be told, we were kind of playing the odds because there are multiple Johnsons that have been president, so we just wrote Johnson as the answer. It was Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson. And apparently, this was super common knowledge. Everyone. Because we we started, we went into the final question in third place. We got it right and finished in seventh. Wow. 
So it was a big letdown week. Like, big, uh, just like we expected. Huge letdown spot for uh, our team after winning last week. Got no playoff points. We might not make the playoffs, but part of that is because we didn't show up for a couple weeks during the holidays. Uh, what else is there? Oh, the only sp- sports. It was only sports adjacent. Um, um, oh, no, that's not true. The one was was easy. What are the four teams that have never made a Super Bowl? Um, Texans. Yep. Jags. Yep. I mean, I'll get them. Mm-hmm. Just give me a minute here. Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, teams to not make a Super Bowl here. Let's go with. They mm-hmm. did. They did. Mm-hmm. They won mm-hmm. one. It's going through every team yeah, in the yeah. NFL right now. <laughs> Yep. Um, mm-hmm. The he's trying to buy enough time that Ryan Jensen could still join us. Right. <laughs> um. Mm, is it that? No, it's not them. The does it? John Little Rock Tennessee wants to know that milk is also the state drink of Arkansas. The, you're a stupid state it's too. It's half the states. It literally. No, the Tennessee the Titans lost to the the St. Louis Rams famously. Oh, Remember okay. Kevin Dyson? Oh yeah, yeah. Extended out and came up one yard short. Then it's gotta be the oh the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, of course. Okay. That was a very easy question. Yes. And then the other one was only sports adjacent. Uh, what? When were the Raiders in the Super Bowl? Uh, the Raiders are the Raiders have won Super. Have? The Raiders have been okay. a ton of Super Bowls. This is why we would have been a team. I wasn't gonna. That's why I didn't oh guess boy. the Raiders, but oh they were in my mind. Like, remember when I had said he? that you could feel free to join us? I got it right. I got the answer. I got the question after right. you got no. After you got it wrong, you guessed the Titans, and you were wrong. Well, it's because I I skipped the AFC North. If I had done the AFC North first, it would have been like, oh yeah, God the Browns. Sakes. Um, what former baseball player is running to replace Diane Feinstein as a senator in California? Is it like I'm trying to think of what baseball player would make sense? Mm. Billy Bean. It's definitely not Billy Bean. <laughs> um, like they're from California. Do they play for one of the California teams. Did play in California? Yes. Uh, how old are they? Uh, they like seventy-five. Oh my gosh! Of course, of course. that's what we do in this. Okay, country. so then I I'm not gonna have. So, I mean, they they played entire with career with two teams. Both in California. I'm not going to get this. I believe still owns the record, the the National League record for the most consecutive games played. Significantly short of the record record for most consecutive games played, but I believe owns the National League. They record. Make, they try to make that a thing, or will we make that a thing when if the National League record comes close to getting broken, like no. Aaron Judge? No, no, it's so it's like I think it was a thousand. Let me hang on a second. Let me. I have no idea. I have no idea because I can't. They didn't give you this hint, by the way. I'm giving you extra hints. Yeah. They only said what former baseball player. Played in uh, 1,207 consecutive games, the National League record. It's not bad. I mean, you say it's not <laughs> bad. It's not even half of the actual record. Like, it's it's not bad, I guess. And no one's probably will never see another 1,200 consecutive game streak ever again. But still. I got nothing. Reggie Jackson. No. Did not play his entire career in California. Quite famously oh, his played entire career. I his entire career yeah. with two teams in California. Both in California. Yeah. I'm not going to get this. Kirk Gibson. It's Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey. And I very much knew that. So that was good the job. good news. That was the good news is that we got that one easily. Is he going to win? No. He's uh, running as a Republican in a state that does not elect Republicans to statewide offices. Yeah. Not going to happen. Um, but he's getting a lot of attention because he's Steve Garvey. Like, that's... He's... he's, he's like, 
I, I, the Republican Party was probably right to run him because otherwise no one would care who the Republican nominee was in California. At least this is getting some attention and maybe drives a couple of Republicans out to vote, but not enough to win. A, it's just the nature of the beast, nature of what you're up to. All right. Uh, anyway, let's get a tidbit. Okay. Tidbit brought to you by the print issue of Press Box. Final uh, days for this print issue of Press Box, our annual best of issue. Go get it at your neighborhood Royal Farms today. And then uh, coming soon, um, a look ahead to the spring issue of Press Box is all I'll, all I'll say. That's coming soon. What you got? Uh, so Kansas State, they won. They beat number four Kansas last night. They they, right after Kansas had beat Houston. Yes. This is why college basketball it's is crazy, of, right? Like the teams, no that, the teams that had the biggest wins also had lo- – because what Carolina beat lost Duke to, right after they lost to Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the nature of the beast. Uh, there's now been 26 wins by an unranked team over an AP top 10 team in the last 31 days. That is the most such wins over any 30-day span or 31-day span uh, in the poll era since it expanded to 25 uh, teams in, in 1989. So, uh, Proctor's on one today. Proctor yes. said... Uh, 1,200 games, not quite the Iron Man, maybe Aluminum Man. <laughs> not bad, not bad. He also said, also, you should let Griff know that Steve Garvey is not the host of Family Feud. And okay, that's, I was a different, I was different guy. That. I different, did almost think that. Thank you, Different John. guy, yes. Uh, I'm going to stick with more Corbin Burns uh, stats here. He okay. has the second most strikeouts since the start of 2020. Um, uh, in all of Major League Baseball, so I want to see if uh, we can go ahead and uh, round out the. We'll go round out the since top twenty twenty since twenty twenty. He has the second most strikeouts. Um, Verlander. Verlander is not in the top ten here. He missed part of a season. I think yeah, he missed one of the. Wolves. Man, I'm trying to remember who hasn't missed part of a season is. Yeah. Uh. uh, uh Cole? Yes, Gary Cole is number one. Corbin Burns, number two. I'm doing the top ten? Yes. Yikes. You'll get it. Uh, it after, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, Snell? Uh, Blake Snell is... He's 11th. <laughs> I'll so get it. Let's get top 11. I'll get it. Uh, Shohei? Uh, no, not Shohei. Gosman. Kevin Gosman, yes, number four. You Darvish. Uh, Darvish is just outside. He is uh, 14th. Scherzer. Scherzer is, yes, he is uh, seventh here. How about uh, Dylan Cease? Dylan Cease, yes, he is fifth. Right behind Gosman. And one spot ahead of his teammate. Or our former teammate. Uh... Chris Sale? Not Chris Sale. So a former White Sox. Yeah, he was traded last year. Was traded last year. Former White Sox was traded last year. Got him in a field. Oh, uh, Rodon. No, no, not Rodon. Rodon. He's traded, or he played for three different teams last year, I think. Played for three different. Yeah. Wow. Who am I? One of the Orioles. We wanted the Orioles to get him. Why am I blanking on this? Maybe because he pitched for so many teams. Yeah. Oh, Giolito? Lucas Giolito. All right, yeah. He's traded the Angels, and then they waved him, and then the Guardians yeah, picked him up. That's right. That's right. I do remember that now. Jeez. Sixth on this list since 2020. I haven't been in, I haven't been in baseball mode yeah. for a little while. Like, this really is the difficulty. Is It takes me a while to ramp back up in a base. Like, all my baseball like checks out 
at the end of the and then I got a ramp I'm like yeah, oh yeah. right and all my football checks out for a little while and then I forget who plays or who we used to do that as a bit before the season would start we'd like do you remember what team this player plays for oh yeah yeah that was a, that was a good a one. fun bit I always like that bit uh, all right. How about Aaron Nola? Aaron Nola is number three. You have the top seven done. Look at me. Yeah, I'm the prettiest girl. You want to give it? Give it, give it to you just to leave the top three here or, or the bottom three here? Yeah, we're gonna try to get out of here on time, and now right. it's, it's already twelve oh four. But I stand by that the milk rant needed to happen. It's true. Yeah, know, Charlie Morton. He was an answer. Charlie the other Morton. Day. He is ten. He was on the last one that you gave me. That's yeah. the only reason I. Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. Hell yeah! He's rolling. Can he stay hot? Get the last one here. Shane Bieber. Uh, no, not Shane Bieber. All right, who is it? It is uh, out in Seattle, Luis Castillo. Uh, Luis Castillo, okay. Very good. Very good. Tidbit was also brought to you today by Goose Flights. Available everywhere, more or less. Not really everywhere, but a lot of places. Cans available at Glory Days Grill, as well as Alonzo's and the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook in Canton. Also, cans and six-packs can be found at Guilford Hall Brewery in Station North, as well as Acostas Inn. And six-packs and cases available at the Wine Source in the Hamden. 198 from every can sold goes to benefit the Goose Flights Foundation and the work they're doing to provide non-emergency medical transport for those in need. Find out more. Pressboxonline.com slash gooseflights. Tubular is brought to you by, ooh, it's brought to you by Superbook. Love Superbook. Get in right now. I told you they got the squares contest available. If uh, you're listening to Patrick Stevens and the under being the play in the Maryland game tonight, 127 and a half, that's a, that's a heck of a number. <laughs> Got to be in for a miserable evening of watching basketball if that's the case. But if you feel it, like defensive basketball, go sign up. I... I like I like those Virginia games. I like more so than when I watch 40. the NBA. Like I'd like there to be some defense being played, but not that. No, I'm not really into that. Uh, go uh, go sign up right now. Superbook.com. Download the Superbook app. Use the code Glenn Clark 23 when you sign up. You'll receive up to $250 in a same-day first bet match, win or lose. They also have a bunch of Taylor Swift theme odds boosts for uh, for the big game. No, thank you. No, thank the you. The 1989 boost. Kelsey no. to have 89 yards. Marquez Valdez Scanting, Scantling to have 19 receiving yards. So, No, thank you. That's all you need. No, thank you. All right. Uh, Superbook.com. Download the Superbook app. Here's what's coming up tonight. Totally tubular. Uh, as we mentioned, Maryland hosting Rutgers this evening. It's actually a cool thing where Big Ten Network tonight is all Maryland Rutgers. Because the men play at 6.30, oh, yeah. and then the women up in Piscataway at 8.30. Both games on Big Ten Network. Uh, Towson Johns Hopkins lacrosse at 4 o'clock on ESPNU. Big Ten hoops tonight on Peacock. Indiana, Ohio State at 7. Michigan State, Minnesota at 9. The rest of the college basketball you can find at glennclarkradio.com. Clemson, Carolina at 7 on ESPN. Everything else, go there. Uh, Monumental Canadiens, Capitals at 7 o'clock. ESPN Plus and Hulu for Avalanche Devils at 7.30. Oilers, Golden Knights at 10. TNT, Mavericks, Nets at 7.30. Bucks, Suns tonight at 10. Fox Sports 2 for the CONCACAF Women's U17 Championship. The U.S. taking on Canada at 1 o'clock. 
and the USA Network for WWE NXT tonight at 8. Non-sports. Not a whole lot. Uh, on Paramount Plus, a new docuseries, Cy- hashtag Cyber Sleuths. This is the Ohio- the Idaho murders from uh, from a couple of years ago. And it's like the it's like a, it's just oh, a documentary okay. of, of how like that the TikTok a, like uh, like wild, how they solve that. Or, yeah, that was an awful story. Obviously, yes. but crazy. Yeah, that's on Paramount Plus. Uh, Ewan McGregor will be on uh, Jimmy Kimmel with his daughter Claire McGregor because they're in a movie called Bleeding Love. Comes out in like a, I think next weekend. Um, Is it about Leona Lewis? No, no. It's like he. Okay. Sorry, yeah, I'm God. sorry. Jesus Christ. But his daughter plays his his real daughter. Bleeding, I keep, oh, okay. Keep bleeding love. It's actually a great song. Maybe they'll play it in the movie. They should. Um, but his daughter plays his real daughter, or his yeah, his real daughter plays his daughter in this movie, and it's like like some coming of age, not coming of age, but you know, but nice, nice uh, father daughter movie. Sure. You know, with Ewan McGregor, so it should be good. Sure. Uh, Asia Wilson will be on Stephen Colbert. Huh, she's very good, good at yeah. what she does. Yeah, she is. She's outstanding. Those are the highlights. Oh, and Colbert is like a South Carolina guy too, right? Oh, okay. He? So, yeah. Yeah, his initials are SC, so yeah. No, I think he's like from South Carolina. I don't think it's his initials. Although, I don't know what his real name is. It, is his real name Stephen Colbert? I mean, it's probably not Colbert. It might be Colbert. Stephen. Uh, yeah, that's his full name. That's his actual given. I mean, at least according to and he's from the Wikipedia. Well, apparently, he was born in D.C. But I could have sworn he came up. There was a South Carolina it's a thing. Northwestern, apparently. So. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. He's in. Yeah. Uh, hang on, South Carolina. I could have sworn. Uh, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. He grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Thank you, God. Felt <laughs> like I was drowning there for a second. Oh, right, because he would always make fun of North Carolina barbecue, as he should. Whenever uh, when I used to watch, because I'd watch the Colbert Report. That was a brilliant show. Um. Any any time like he had somebody on that was from North Carolina, he would like they like, bring out like a <laughs> plate like, of like of of tasteless food. Like you think this is barbecue? <laughs> North Carolina barbecue stinks. It's not barbecue. It's just vinegar. Like what God is, bless you. North Carolina's got something, doesn't it? Hush puppies are delicious. Nobody's yeah. gonna argue about that. But everything else about North Carolina barbecue stinks. South Carolina barbecue outstanding, outstanding. Southern broil. North Carolina barbecue, awful. Just some vinegar. That's it. Stinks. Get out of my face. South Carolina barbecue, 13 and a half. I thought I was going crazy there for a second with Stephen Colbert. Uh, thanks. Born, born in Bethesda and then moved to South Carolina. I, I See, I know a thing or two about a thing or two. Is that farmers? And we know a thing or two about a thing or two? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually me. I know a thing or two about a thing or two. The uh, Tubular was also brought to you by Toyota. Toyota is making our Pick'em Contest possible at County Sports Zone. CountySportsZone.com is your headquarters for local high school scores, schedules, and standings across all sports, and they are proudly sponsored by Toyota. Thanks today to Patrick Stevens, to Wes Brown from County Sports Zone, and to Ryan Spilborgs. We'll get that up in the greatest hits section of the Oh my God, it's so good. tab at GlennClarkRadio.com. So we think we're going to chat with Ryan Jensen tomorrow. Yes, that is the belief. All right. Um, Drew. Should uh, catch up with Bo Smolka t- tomorrow. Bo Smolka, Press Box Ravens beat writer after today. They're introducing uh, Zach Orr in a press conference and stuff and things. Stuff and things. Big day. Thanks, everybody, at Press Box. All of our great sponsors and partners, including Live Casino and Hotel, Mother's North Grill, A.J. Michaels, Guilford Hall Brewer- Brewery, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, Superbook Sports, Glory Days Grill, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. 
Have a great Tuesday evening. Go Maryland men. Go Maryland women. Go Towson or Johns Hopkins lacrosse. Duke sucks.